Good morning. Please join me for the prayer of illumination. God of power and wonder, we are struck by your glory. We rejoice in what we can see. We marvel at what we cannot see. Open our eyes to your dazzling brightness. Overshadow us with a great cloud. Strengthen and transform us through your word that we may love and serve you in all that we are and do. This morning, our scripture lesson is from 2 Kings. It's chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know today is the day the Lord will take your master away from you? And he said, yes, I know, keep silent. Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you li yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The company of prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the, today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he answered, yes, I know, be silent. Then Elijah said to him, stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on, 50 men of the company of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water. The water was parted to the one side and to the other until the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I may do before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit, he responded. You have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He picked up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? When he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elijah went over. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Good morning. All right, I'm going to make sure. Last service, I managed to lose my mic about halfway through, so we're going to check. I'm also going to ask your permission for something. I'm going to ask your permission to say something wrong for the next couple minutes, right? So we are good and literate people. We know Elijah and Elisha, right? But I bet that once I stop putting those on the screen, I know I would get confused pretty fast, right? That J and that SH can be tough. So can I say Elisha? Will that be helpful? We'll talk about Elijah and Elisha this morning. I know it's not right, but it's gonna make my life easier to not get confused. (laughs) And once the preacher's confused, then there just ain't no hope for anybody. So we started this morning talking about transfiguration. Right? Some of you know that if you open your Bibles, that's the good, bold heading on the gospel reading we saw in the video. Yes, your preacher snuck two scriptures in on you today. That big, bold heading would say, transfiguration. It's a big, fancy word that says, change happens. When you get in with God, there's going to be a moment when you are changed, when the world around you changes, you just can't quite avoid it. And I'm sure that some of you may have looked at our title for the sermon and said, I will not leave you, and gone, yes, that preacher is going to do that great old sermon about how no matter what God, uh, what life's ups and downs, God will never, never, never leave you. I can now work on my grocery list. That's a good sermon. It's a good one. You should listen to that one. But that's not actually this sermon. This sermon sits in a little different place. This is one of those Sundays in between things. We've done Epiphany. We are not yet to Lent. But we are at a moment of change. And so I think it's really appropriate that the lectionary gives us these two scripture passages together. This wasn't just a crazy idea your associate came up with. Smarter people than I have seen that this gospel piece and this piece about Elijah and Elisha actually have quite a lot in common. And it's not just that Elijah shows up in both, but really they have sort of three things to teach us about what it's like to be at that point of change. First of all, we see in both that there will come a point when change is not only recognizable, but undeniable, right? You may have felt this in your life at some point. There comes a point, whether you were standing on the mountain or on the shore of the Jordan or at the hospital bedside, when change is coming, And you can close your eyes, but it ain't going away. Two, it's really comfortable to close your eyes when change is coming. When it becomes inevitable, it feels really good to try and hang on to what has been before, to sit right there in that moment. But no matter how scary the change is, no matter how much we would like to stay on the safe side of the river, what God has called us to, God empowers us for. And it just takes stepping across to see the blessing that God has for you.
You see it really compactly when we start dealing with the disciples and with Jesus, right? So the disciples have been traveling around with Christ for a little while now. You know, we're, we're getting nearer to the end. It hasn't been particularly a comfortable life. There's been a lot of sleeping outside and having to pick your own grain. But still, you got to be a disciple of one of the coolest prophets in Galilee, right? So not comfortable, not safe. Certain level of prestige, though. There are trade-offs. And now, not only have you gotten to be one of the 12 disciples, pretty select group, all men, I'd note, um, now you get to be one of three. Peter, James, John, and the master says, let's go to the mountain. Now you're like in the real inner circle, right? right? There's the body where decisions get made, and then there's the group where decisions really get made. Yes, you have cracked the inner circle. But Christ takes them up to the mountain, and he starts talking about going to Jerusalem. He starts talking about crucifixion. He starts talking about his own death and the changes that are coming, and they start to get that kind of nervous feeling in their stomach, and it would be really comfortable to just ignore it, but then they actually see Christ transfigured, changed before their very eyes. Any doubts they had before, they now see Jesus hanging out with Moses and Elijah. Pretty clear, he is who he claims to be. He can do what he says he's gonna do, and change is coming right around the corner. What do the disciples do when faced with very scary change? They volunteer to build booths and stay on the mountain, right? They say, yes, this is a good place. It is warm and safe and fuzzy. There is the glory of God. We will just sit right here and bask, right? And they couch it in the good worshipful terms, right? We will honor the glory of the Lord. But it's really just, it's a lot more fun to stay up here than it is to go to Jerusalem. Change is scary. Let's just hang on to what we have. But Christ doesn't let them stay on the mountain because he knows there is greater blessing to come. It gets a little more teased out when we start talking about Elijah and Elisha. Elijah is one of those names we hear a lot. He's kind of the big prophet for Israel. It's like Moses and Elijah. These are the pillars. There's a good reason they show up on the mountain for Jesus. And Elijah has been a very active prophet for a very long time. But he has this funny moment. Um, some of you might recognize that moment when you have done so much stuff and you have dealt with so many of the consequences that you just get tired. Elijah got tired. And he told God he'd had enough. And so God sent him to find a disciple, one who would come after him. And he finds Elisha in a field behind 12 oxen. 
Now, this is Texas. I know we see a lot of oxen all the time, but in the ancient world, an ox is not a cheap animal. If Elisha is driving 12 oxen through his field, he's living a pretty comfortable life. Things are pretty good to be Elisha. He is the eldest son of a family that's gonna give him wealth and property. He's got this thing pretty sewed up. He's ready to go. And then this crazy prophet walks in, throws his mantle over him. Elisha kisses his mother and his father goodbye. He slaughters all 12 oxen, and he takes out off into a life that involves sleeping in the fields and being fed by birds. And again, we're like disciples, right? Not comfortable, not safe, certainly not as cushy as having 12 oxen. But it's not that same trade-off, right? He's getting to follow around the biggest prophet Israel has ever known. He's like the opening act for the Rolling Stones. There's a certain level of prestige happening here, right? What he may not have realized when he started out on this is like the Rolling Stones, Elijah was starting to make his farewell tours, tours around Israel. Um, this is actually where we pick up our scripture is the last farewell tour. You may have caught that. There are several locations we're going to visit. We're going to hit all the high holy places before Elijah takes off. And Elisha knows, like any good disciple, Elijah's not going to be around forever. This might actually be the last farewell of the farewells. In fact, every place he goes to, people come out and make a point to tell him, <laughs> you know, Elijah's not going to be around for very long, right? <laughs> and I think Elisha probably had that knot in the pit of his stomach. Because what does he keep saying? Yeah, I know. Could we not talk about it? Could we just... There's a little, little level of denial there, maybe. We cross the river, it's not the one in Egypt, but he's maybe feeling that pressure of change. He can see it coming. He's reaching that point where it becomes undeniable, but Elijah's got big shoes to fill. This is a man who calls down fire from heaven. This is a man who the ravens feed. This is a man who has overturned kings, who has seen the back of God and lived. And just to top it all off, right at the end of our story, Elijah pulls off the pentacle of pentacle of all Israelite prophet miracles, right? He parts water. Till this point in, Israelis, in the Israelites' history, two people have done this, Moses, Yes, we're all seeing Charlton Heston now, right? Yes. And Moses' disciple, Joshua. That's it. It's the only people who have parted water. And Elijah goes and does it. And Elisha's going, dude, big shoes to fill. To really have to take it that far. The commentators really make quite a lot out of Elisha's trepidation. And I think it's fair. How many of us faced with really big change go, yes, let's go. <laughs> I think at least for most of us, there is that, that little moment, that trepidation. Sometimes it's that, that time at work where your boss retires. Now, I know at Dow, they usually come back as a consultant for a while, so you get that reprieve. Um, but for the rest of us, there's, there's that sense of, big shoes to fill. 
Sometimes for some people it happens the first time mom or dad get, get really sick, that first moment when you realize they're not going to be around forever. My dad is one of six kids, um, raised, they were a military family, so dad was not around a lot to begin with, and then by the time the kids were grown, he was not around at all. So it's really been my grandmother. She is the matriarch of matriarchs, and she handles them all well. Six kids, five boys, by the way. <laughs> five boys. The first time she saw the inside of a hospital, those boys were six years old again. They were not ready for that. And when she got out, she sat them all down at a table and she said, we're gonna talk about my funeral and my estate, and they all got up. Their wives sat and had the conversation with my grandmother, because they, they know the change is coming, but they ain't ready. They ain't ready to lose mama. It's hard. There comes that moment where change is undeniable, where big shoes have to be filled. But I think Alicia has a little more courage than we give him credit for. Because he doesn't want to talk about the change. He's a little nervous about the big shoes to be filled. But he doesn't give up, does he? At every point in the Good Farewell Tour, Elijah gives him an out. I'm going to Bethel. You ought to stay here. No, Master. As you live and as the Lord lives, I will not leave you. I'm going to Jordan. You, you can stay here. No, Master. As you live and as the Lord lives, I will not leave you. Elisha is faced with inevitable change. It would be super comfortable just to hang on to what has been, just to close eyes and pretend it's not coming, but he hangs in there. He stays with his master. He garners every bit of wisdom that he can to prepare for what's to come. I think maybe he's shushing prophets not because he doesn't want to deal with what's about to happen, but because it's more important for him to hear what God is saying through Elijah than to listen to the voices that would invoke fear in his heart. There comes a point, I think, where we all know change is inevitable. And sometimes that might mean filling big shoes. But Elisha sets a good precedent for us. He's smart. He knows he doesn't have to be Elijah. He has to be the thing that comes after Elijah. And so when Elijah asks Elisha, what do you want of me? He says, Master, I want a double portion of your spirit. Now, I can remember hearing this story growing up, and for me, double portion always meant picturing like the Baskin-Robbins two scoops of ice cream, right? If you have a little bit of a good thing, a lot of a good thing is better, right? And, but something as I grew up always sat funny with me about that because it makes it sound like Elisha's trying to be bigger and better than Elijah, right? So, so if he was the Rolling Stones, then Elisha's gonna be Justin Bieber. Like, it's, it's gonna get huge, right? Oh, sorry, oh, pastor says no. <laughs> But what he, he's invoking a very specific clause of the Israelite law. When a patriarch would die, 
The property would be divided amongst all the children, but the firstborn son, the firstborn son got twice as much as everyone else. He got a double portion of the property. What Alicia says is, I am humble enough to know I'm the one that comes after you. But make me your first disciple. Treat me like your firstborn son. Give me the inheritance of the blessing that God has given you. It's actually a statement of humility. He said he may never be quite what Elijah was, but he will be the thing that comes after Elijah with God's help. And Elijah, being Elijah, coolest prophet of the Israelites ever, knows it's not his blessing to give. So he says, watch. And if the Lord has granted it to you, you will see me taken up into heaven. Elijah is a good master. He gives Elisha an out. He doesn't lie to him about change. He tells him it's coming. He helps to prepare him. But in that moment, he knows that it is God who will bless Elisha. It is God who will equip Elisha. And it is God who has laid out works very different than what Elijah had to do. And so he reassures him and points him to the source of his power. It's a good moment for us as we face change. But a hard moment, I think. I was reading a really interesting, and when I say interesting, punched me in the stomach, article this week. Um, you're starting to talk about what's called imposter syndrome. This is that feeling that some people get that no matter how successful you are, no matter how high you've risen, it is more a matter of luck and opportunity than of skill and effort. Funny thing is, this doesn't actually occur amongst people who are not successful, but most often amongst those who are very high achieving, very successful. They're seeing it tremendously amongst graduate programs and people who are in highly competitive universities or highly competitive professions. It comes from this. It happens amongst people who grew up and were kind of always the smart kid, right? They, they were at the head of the class, they didn't have to work too hard at school, and then they get in a program where they do have to work hard. Right? Yes. And maybe they get that first C freshman year. Yeah? <laughs> that first C is a little intimidating. And they overcome it. They get past it. Right? They pull their grade point average back up. They do work. They learn how to work hard. And all through their career, they work hard. They do real success. They have great gifts and talents. But something in the back of their mind keeps telling them they're really not as good as people think they are. That somehow they're just playing a part. That one day somebody's gonna see through it and realize that all their success is luck. It's not talent or gifts or blessings. Some people know what that feeling is. 
so people know what it is to stand there like Elisha holding the mantle and have that moment that goes, oh, I am not ready for this. <laughs> no matter how cool they think I am, I am not that cool. <laughs> I am 15 degrees off cool and somebody's gonna figure that out. They're gonna realize I am not Elisha. But the good news is, it wasn't Elijah's blessing to give. And it's not always the work that we do. We have spent all of Epiphany hearing that you don't have to pick a thing and chase it, that you were built, you were made with gifts and with passions and with a calling. And what Alicia tells us is that where God has called you, God is going to equip you because the mantle does fall, right? Up till this point, only two people had parted water. Now Elijah's done it. Who's the fourth one to do it? Alicia, yes, okay, somebody heard the scripture. Good, I know it was long, it was right there at the end. God has called Elisha, and no matter how inadequate Elisha might feel, where God calls, God equips, that mantle falls, and he picks it up, and he goes back to the Jordan, and he slaps that water, and I'm sure something in his head is going, oh, please work, please work, please work, please work. And it does. There comes a moment where we know that change is inevitable. Where there might be big shoes that we don't feel like we can fill. But when we have done the good discernment work, when we have heard the voice of the Lord, we should never be afraid to say, God, give me the blessing you have promised and I will do the work you have called me to. Because Here's the weird tension. No matter how much we say change is the only inevitable, we serve a God who has never yet let us down, who has been the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and who will always, always, always come through on the promise of that blessing. The disciples wanted to stay on the mountain Christ knew there was a greater thing yet to be done. It would have been really comfortable for Elisha to stay at Bethel, to not even make it to the Jordan. When he crossed over, there were still greater works to be done. We have spent time together discerning calling gifts and passions. And Lent is coming. There are greater works to be done. I pray that we, as a people, will have the courage to cross over. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. While well, you're still standing, I want to remind you that Chapelwood United Methodist Church exists uh, to help ourselves and others take their next step in their faith journey with Christ. This isn't just a scattering of footsteps all over, but rather to line those footsteps up uh, to accomplish our three-year vision of raising a generation in faith. The first uh, stop on that three-year vision is a 12-month goal to make sure that uh, we are exemplifying the kind of faith that if caught by our kiddos, will be life-sustaining for them. Uh, we think about that in, in four ways. One is being able to see God's sightings in our community, to be fluent 
in our faith, especially the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, uh, to be a community um, of call uh, that recognizes uh, the power and the opportunity that comes when we are called in a particular direction. Uh, and then also that idea of a high expectation community, not just a Christmas and Easter kind of a church, but filling in uh, that active discipleship uh, in between. Uh, so I want to encourage you, um, the, the uh, calling data, calling uh, uh, sermons and the interest survey and the spiritual gifts link are all still on the website. Um, I know you've heard preachers come and preachers go, right? They love that spiritual gifts, right? What are we going to preach about this Sunday? I don't know. Let's throw spiritual gifts down. But I got to be honest with you, this is not a sermon from the file. Uh, but rather something that will um, influence everything that we do for the next 12 months and probably longer. And so the next step is really to kind of find that call. As we go into Lent, we'll be looking at being a high expectation community. Uh, and I think you're really going to enjoy uh, as we kind of buckle down and look at what does it mean to uh, move from uh, orphanhood to adoption? What does it mean to look at extending the table and uh, being that kind of community that cares beyond itself. Uh, let's see, there, um, if you feel um, called to join the church this morning, we would love to have you. Come on down. We'll talk about next steps uh, of joining the congregation. There's also, who got a little, a little card? It has a cross on it, right? Uh, what a great card that talks about Ash Wednesday. Use it on your refrigerator door, the bathroom mirror, or turn around and give it to somebody. Invite them to come uh, and have Ash Wednesday as well. It's a great beginning place uh, for a conversation. And let's see, what else? I think I've covered all of the, oh, yes, yes. All right, so um, there's a, uh, for some of you, you uh, end up hearing a wonderful sermon like Kate gave today, and you think, hmm, I got more questions. But where am I gonna find a group of people to talk about those questions? Uh, well, not this Thursday, but the next Thursday, every Thursday in Lent, uh, we'll be having whoever preaches on Sunday, we'll be at um, Mike Heather's house. Is Mike here? I don't know if I've told him that we're gonna be at his house. <laughs> So we're all going to surprise them, right? Seven o'clock, Mike Heather's house uh, on Thursdays. Um, call if you need directions. Uh, it's an opportunity to continue the conversation of the sermon. If we fill up Mike's living room, then great. Maybe we'll do Wednesdays and Fridays at his house, but we'll see. Um, we really do believe that growth happens in a group. And if you don't have a group, come and talk to us. We'd love to make sure that you have one. Uh, but for now, let's uh, uh, end with our uh, closing song. David Hill's going to come and lead us in Open My Eyes That I May See. Grab a hand of somebody next to you, but let Peter get all the way down the aisle before you close it off. <laughs> Hear this benediction. At a time when change is inevitable, may the Lord, who is constant, walk with you. At a time when it is safer to remain where you are, may the Lord, who is always moving, pull you forward. And even in the moments when you feel like those footsteps in front are just too big to fill, may the Lord, who is ever active, ever holding on, equip you and empower you for new steps and new works in the world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.